Hi, I'm Laura Shera, and did you know that a propane gas furnace lifespan averages 20 years, while electric heat pumps only last 14 years? And propane furnaces work in all temperatures while delivering warm and consistent heat to your home. Why buy two heating systems when one propane furnace can do it all? It lasts longer, works better, and it costs less. These things and more are done with propane today. The right energy, right now. Welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, coming to you from the home of the LaPantas, where Margo's busy uh, cutting up chicken. Uh, thanks for dinner, Margo. <laughs> it's, a, it's a proactive thanks. Yeah. Because the dinner, we have to get the show done first before dinner's allowed. This is my third podcast of the day, so I'm just glad that I remembered the name of it. Um, thanks, as always, to our awesome sponsors. And uh, our next live show is at Split Rocks, January 25th, 7 p.m., uh, in Wyoming, uh, really looking forward to that show. And if you are somebody that has wanted in the past to come to one of our shows, but felt like Hopkins or downtown Minneapolis uh, was too far, well, Split Rocks in Wyoming. If you're in the northern burbs, uh, definitely come on out. It'll be fun, Anthony. Yeah, I'm excited. I haven't been there before. Yeah. I went online and it looks a lot like Elsie's and Tuttle's in terms of the bowling and the food and all that stuff. I think Brandon or awesome producer is going to do a site visit coming up here in the next little while. So hopefully, again, everybody comes out. That's a week from uh, whatever, yesterday. <laughs> this podcast is going to come out tomorrow. So a week from Let's two just days focus ago. on the date instead of week from time. <laughs> January 25th, 7 p.m., Split Rocks. Come on out. It's, those shows have been fun. We've yeah. had a, it, we've had great turnouts throughout the season so far, and you know the Minnesota Wild have provided a lot of storylines. It's a passionate fan base right now with good reason. So come on out and join us. We we've had some great questions from yeah. from the audience, and it adds a little adds a little life to the show from time to time. So come out and take a look. I met a girl yesterday at the Denver airport with her dad, and uh, she was wearing a Colorado Avalanche sweatshirt, and she's from here. It's her. Other favorite team. So she's a front um, runner. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, it's funny because I, I ran into some kids out in Colorado that are wild, that they were like wild fans, but also want somebody was wearing a uh, Colorado Avalanche uh, shirt as well. And uh, so I was giving him all a bunch of a flack that he was from here and picked the front runner uh, Avalanche fan. But I don't know. It's like it's like one of those things. Like if you were a Minnesotan and you had children. Do you maybe at that point say, all right, here's your options. You can root for the teams here, or you could pick maybe the Lightning or the Bruins or, well, you know, like a team from I, another I mean, market. You're, you're not a, a parent, but I got I got news for you. Like, <laughs> I don't think any of my kids would have, if I said, hey, here are your options, so, I think they would have said, uh, we'll decide who we're going to root for, yeah. Dad. So my, uh, my brother's kids uh, are diehard Giants fans because of my brother, and I just, and Mets fans, and they're, they, have, they don't know any better. They're like eight and right, six. Right, but or, that's different because your brother was a fan, so he's right. watching those teams, and they kind of become a fan but i'm just telling you 
you can't go to a kid and say, well, here are your options. You can either be a wild fan or an avalanche fan. They're going to, like, can They'll you imagine me telling that to AJ or Vinny? Yeah, they they would have said, uh, I'll be the fan of who I want. Yeah. I, I'd, I'm going to be a Penguins but fan saying, or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, but, but, but everything in life is stuff that's taught. And this kid Boy, seemed like very, so, very. This kid. I seemed, wish I had that kind of power. This kid seemed very, very happy to be an Avalanche fan. Yep. I'm just saying. So. Well, I mean, <laughs> so I grew up in Minnesota, and, and I'm a. I've been a. Was a big North Star fan growing up. I lived and died with the Vikings, the Twins, as a kid all those years. But I was also a St. Louis Cardinals fan. And I mean, that had nothing to do with anything. My dad didn't give me an option like, hey, you can either root for the Twins or root for the Cardinals. I mean, I listened to the Cardinals every night on KMOX when it got dark and loved listening to Jack Buck. I became a Cardinals fan. And I have no idea where it came from. I don't know how I stumbled across it the first time, but it, you know, sometimes I remember like just you get a cool baseball card of a guy. And I think that was yep. one of the reasons I there was, a, I still have a vivid memory of a Lou Brock card from 1972, which was, I was four years old, but it was one of the first years that I ever saw baseball cards. Mm-hmm. And there was this cool card of him leading off a second base. And I was like, I, Lou Brock, I love Lou Brock. And he played for the Cardinals. So I kind of started becoming a Cardinal fan and who knows what starts it, but you know. Yeah, I was an Expos fan growing up, and I think it was just to piss my dad off because I always like to do that. Um, by the way, I, me- I mentioned the girl and her dad because uh, the the girl told me that she comes to all our podcasts as well, and uh, so that's pretty awesome. So um, January 25th, again, 7 p.m., Split Rocks. Uh, big day for the Wild, uh, Anthony. They finally got their revised schedule, ruined your... Uh, your cruise, I think you knew that for a while that that was yeah. I mean, it, that was a foregone conclusion. We knew the cruise was long since dead, and unfortunately, that meant uh, a little dent in the bank account that we lost with that. But but I mean, I'm glad that they got it figured out. I'm glad they got it scheduled. I'm glad they got it locked in. I'm glad the NHL came out with their revised protocols, which certainly make it seem like that means you know what from here forward. No more cancellations. Yeah, you got to figure it out. You got a taxi squad. Well, if I wonder mi- if they get rid of the taxi squad now because remember it was only going to go to the All Star break, and it, now there's almost no reason to have one. Well, there isn't except that it protects you so yeah. that you never have to cancel a game. Yeah, because right now they don't with have how the room. tight they've scheduled. They have no room. Yeah. Had they taken some games later in the season and thrown them into February for some of these teams that only had two or three games to make up, you would have created a little space later in the season and given yourself some room. I I understand why they didn't want to do too much of that. You've got fans who have bought tickets. They're planning on certain nights, whatever. It it might have created more headaches. But bottom line is they've made it clear they want the season to end on time. The The only way that happens is if no more games get postponed. And I think... My guess is maybe you have to, maybe it's a limit of a guy or two, but you have to provide these teams an option. So if at the last minute, yes, it's going to be minimal because they're only testing symptomatic guys, but what if three guys come in one morning that are all symptomatic and all test positive? You have to have a way to get that game in that night. No so I'm not sure you can go away with the taxi That's squad true. that quickly. Although knowing the NHL, the Wild will just have 40 games in like 50 days. Um, Speaking of which, let's rant about that. You may probably aren't as passionate as I am on this, but I, I just, I, what I find bothersome are two things. One, the Wild have as condensed a schedule as anybody in the league, and the teams that had the outbreaks don't. I mean, it is crazy. Like, I was just looking at Detroit. 
who created a lot of this mess. Carolina, they don't even come close to playing as many games in a short amount of time as a team like the Wild. The Wild had all these games in Canada postponed because of attendance restrictions up there that are not going to be changed when they're up there next month. With the Wild just played five games in 31 days. I just counted five games in 31. In these last two weeks, I looked at Florida, Carolina, and Detroit's schedules. All those teams could have come here for one-offs to squeeze in games and right. alleviate And those a lot. are the three teams that were supposed to play right. here that canceled because they were having COVID outbreaks right. on their own team. And so, and, and then we're actually forced in Carolina's case to play crazily de- depleted a couple nights later. So, and then the other part of this, and I know this isn't something you could do. This is an uncertain world right now, right? I mean, there's no perfect answer. But now the Wild are going to get the Florida Panthers, the best team in the NHL, with Barkov and all these guys in here that that were hurt at the time. Now, there's nothing you could do about that, but it's just it's amazing to me that this Wild team, in a year where they probably have the best team that you and I have seen them have, are going to get play 40 games in 77 days going into a postseason where they're now going to be exhausted right. going in when a team like Vegas, a team that they're going at, that they're going to have to compete against plays like 38 games in like 80 something days. And most of this is a retroactive complaint because the, it seemed that the league was canceling games without a tremendous amount of thought thinking we've got February. Yeah. Don't worry about it. The game we talked about on last week's show that Carolina got canceled in Philadelphia was one of them. Just made no sense whatsoever. Zero. The next day at practice, they they practiced with thirteen forwards, seven defensemen, and right. two goalies. And, Why was that game posted? And and with, the, to the, say with that well, yes, there. we had four key players. Well, I mean, who doesn't have key players out? And so that that part is frustrating. And the the fact that you know you look at a team, I think it was Anaheim, maybe had two games. Four. That 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 were canceled yep, or postponed. Yep. So they they still have like a twelve or fourteen day break in the schedule. Well, they, at least here's the funny thing: they actually what the they did to try to make up for that problem is they took some games in March and moved them to February. So now they actually less they took their a condensed March and actually lessened it by putting a couple there so they wouldn't. But here's one for you: the San Jose Sharks have no games from February first to the fourteenth. How about that one? Yeah, that, so it was the Sharks I was thinking okay. of that still had a two-week break. Yeah, yeah, they have and, a two-week break. And But so then when you even look at Minnesota's schedule, and it makes a little sense at the end of the month, they, they made a two-game Canada trip into a four-game trip, but two games to in Winnipeg. So instead of just going up there once and playing twice at like you did last year, go play one trip, fly up there, play a game, off-day game, come back. Exactly. Instead, they make two separate trips to Winnipeg. Which again, remember, the only reason we didn't go to Winnipeg earlier yeah. was because Winnipeg wanted to wait till they had fans. Now it sounds like February one, they're hoping that the yeah. part of their restriction gets lifted, but there's no guarantee. We might be flying up there to play in an empty building again. Yeah, like right and, right now, right next week they play two games at home. Their first, by the way, two home games since December nineteenth with two hundred and fifty fans in the building. Right, and so they're hoping that February one yep. that that changes, but. So now let's even say you're going to take two trips. So the first trip the Wild take, I don't know what else Winnipeg has on their schedule, but you certainly could have made it work better for Minnesota. The Wild play on the second in Chicago. They're off for the All-Star break, three, four, five, six. They fly on the seventh, play the eighth. Then they have three more days off before a home game. So had you pushed that back a couple days, now you at least give the team, all right, here's your break. You have a week. And instead it's four days game. 
three days game, which is the same kind of thing they've been dealing with for the last month and a half. And then all of a sudden, instead of why not just make it where you're going to start going every other night? Yeah. And instead, they, they put these long breaks in early in February, do nothing to relieve the schedule late. So my other favorite one is that they start in Edmonton, then go to Ottawa, Toronto, and go back right. to Calgary. Right. Like, why couldn't you rearrange? I know that Calgary was originally scheduled for February 26th, but why couldn't you just move that to where the Wild are in Alberta? They play both there, then go to Ontario. Right. Well, but look at the Wild schedule to start with this year. I mean, really... I thought this made no sense. So for years, the Central Division would face the Pacific. You'd play teams three times, and it would be half the division. You'd play twice at home, once on the road, the other half the reverse. And as you set up this schedule, and it usually goes in two-year cycles, where if one year you went to L.A., Anaheim, Arizona, and Vegas twice, the next year you'd only go once. So this year, they set it up with the Pacific Division, and the Wild are not on the same cycle with Calgary and Edmonton. It was two trips to Edmonton, one to Calgary. It was two trips to Seattle, one to Vancouver. Two trips to L.A., one to Anaheim. So that just guarantees you that for eternity, you're going to have trips that go to, to those markets where you don't play both teams. Yep. It makes no sense to go to L.A. and not play L.A. and Anaheim, to go to Vancouver and not also play Seattle, to go to Calgary and not also play Edmonton. It just doesn't make any sense, and yet they're set up to fail in that area by definition because they – so if they go on an every-other-year cycle, next year there will be two trips to Calgary and one to Edmonton, two to Vancouver and one to Seattle, two to Anaheim and one to L.A., and which means you are always going to be making trips into those markets – and playing just one of two teams that are basically right next door. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, it, it uh, I don't know. It just, you know, even like, it's just, I don't know. I, I, like, I know how it sounds like I'm making excuses and all those stuff, but even just little stuff like, like how much would you love to play Edmonton right now? Like, and let's talk a little bit about the freaking Oilers. And, um, and by the way, we have a lot to talk about with the show with the Wild, and we will absolutely get to it. I, I want to talk about how well guys like Kevin Fiala and Matt Boldy are playing right now. I want to talk about the whole Greenway incident with um, Darcy Kemper the other day and, and obviously the McKinnon. Um, or uh, reverse no goal, I guess you could say. Uh, o- overturn the reversal, reverse the yeah, overturn go. goal. Yep. Um, so let's talk about that. But um, let's talk about the Oilers right now because I got a lot of questions about um, sports writing and dealing with players and all this stuff. And if you didn't see it, and by the way, just look how cute Phil is right now. Look at yeah, that's his spot. Here. He yeah. he will sit there. And if those chairs, so he's sitting between a couple chairs we have in our living room. There are a couple swivel chairs. And there's only enough space if at least one of them is swiveled just a little bit. If they're both pointed straight ahead, there's no space. And he will stand there and just look at it until somebody moves one of the chairs for him. And as soon as one is moved, he curls up in a ball in that spot. And that's his place when people are in the kitchen. Yeah. By the way, anytime you have a little dog near me when I'm doing a podcast, I will 100% get uh, distracted. So uh, (laughs) let's talk about Edmonton. Um, So Jim Matheson, Hall of Fame hockey writer, full disclosure, one of my mentors. I mean, this is somebody that in the 90s basically took me under his wing in a lot of ways. You always remember the sports writers that treat you treat you really well when you're a child. Jim Matheson was one. Eric DeHatchik was one. John Delapino was one. There just so many out there. Uh, I shouldn't name names because there are so many. But Jim Matheson, so I've, I will 100% come to that guy's defense about anything. Um, 
he obviously had a, a public spat the other day during you know a Q and A Q&A with Leon Draisaitl. A lot of stress right now with the Edmonton Oilers, who absolutely stink. So from my perspective, I'm trying to look at both sides. One, Draisaitl probably wants to go up there and just unleash on everything, right? But he can't go out there and say, or oh, our goaltending sucks, our blue line sucks, we got the two best players in the world, we're doing our job, but everybody else sucks. You know, look at the coach, look at the GM, look at the goalie, look at the... So he can't say that. So he's already in a, in a position to probably fail because he probably cannot give everything that he wants to say in a public venue. From Jim Matheson's point of view, he has to write a story he is dealing with a fan base that wants answers as well. He's trying to get answers. None of us know the back and forth for weeks that might have led up to this uh, blow up. There are a lot of times where I have stress with a player where the stress comes out in a certain venue, but the reality is that's been brewing for weeks and it just came out in that moment. So none of us also know you know, what Dreisaitl and Matheson have been going back and forth on for the last little while, and maybe that tension ratcheted up. And so it came out in a public uh, forum where basically Jim, in his way, and this is a guy that, by the way, couldn't be more respected from guys like Wayne Gretzky, uh, Mark Messier, Glenn Anderson, Essa Tikkanen, all the players that he is, he is Grant Fuhrer, all the players that he has covered through his eternity covering that team. So this is a very respected hockey writer that publicly went after a kid that he felt was being disrespectful. Obviously, a lot of fans, even some sports writers, went after Jim. Obviously, Oiler fans who love Dreisaitl are taking it out on Jim. Um, what is your thought on that whole situation? I mean, to me, regardless, this is showing that the Oilers right now are a very stressful situation. Yeah, I mean, well, so we'll start with a couple things. One is... You're a sports writer. I'm a TV guy. In these spots, my job's imminently easier. It's I don't have to. I don't need an answer from a player like that. If he's if it's if he's going that lousy, I don't have to write a story about him. We just won't talk about him that night. Yeah. And what I will do on the broadcast is I'll keep it factual that Leon Dreisaitl hasn't scored in ten games, or in this case, you know, the team is whatever the team's struggles are and keep it factual where, you know, I've occasionally had players that have come back and, you know, why are you negative? I'll say, well, negative. All I did was state a fact. Are you, are you not no points in your last 10 games? I mean, that, what, what do you want me to say? And so we kind of keep it to that. I listened to the press conference. I didn't think Jim's question was out of line. Yeah. And the players also have to know that the writers have a job. They have to write an article. So just because you're going bad doesn't mean that all of a sudden, okay, well, I'm going bad. That means I don't want to talk or I want to be short. Or I don't want to be asked anything that they have to write a story. The newspaper tomorrow, the fans want to pick it up and read a story. And the players have to understand that both writers and broadcasters have jobs. We still have to put the game on the air tomorrow night, even if the Wild have lost 18 games in a row. Yeah. People are going to tune in to watch. That's why you get a paycheck. Yep. And so I thought, I thought his reaction was lousy. I thought it was immature. I thought it was unprofessional. And we've all seen it. When things go bad for a team, everybody gets tight. The GM, the coach, the players, they all get tight. They get sensitive. 
And sometimes you just you have to be a little bit aware of that as a media member. But at the same time, the players and staff, they have to understand that everybody else has a job to do too. Nobody in that room is taking pride in the fact that Edmonton's losing. I mean, it's not like Jim Matheson every day is going home and high-fiving with his family that the Oilers lost again last night. I mean, we'd all prefer that the team we cover be relevant and win more often than they lose because it's more fun to be around them. But that's not our job. And so all of that is a part of it. And I just think it's indicative of the bigger problems there. And Edmonton, there's not a team in the league that makes me smirk a little bit to myself more when they lose than that team because they've had every advantage possible. 100%. They've won every draft lottery. They had the number one overall pick four times. They picked in the top eight, I think it was six times in a 10-year span. They get a brand new arena. They've got every advantage of a franchise possible, and yet they still screw it up. And they screw it up year after year after year after year. And they might have two of the most talented offensive players in the world. And yet I, I laugh every night when I watch them lose because I just think that they don't have guys who play the game the right way. They really don't. And Connor McDavid's a great player, maybe the most talented player in the world. He's not the best player. He's not, if I was starting a franchise, he's not the player I'd pick. We just watched him in Colorado. I 100% I'll take agree Nathan with you. McKinnon 100 times yeah. out of 100 before I take Connor McDavid. And I got a list of 15 I'll take before Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, you can't win with guys who play the game the way they play it. They've been, I think it, it's just, I don't know. It, I don't have any problem watching them lose. Let's just put it that way. And when you see one of the go to guys come out yeah. and handle things like that, it doesn't change yeah. my opinion. And, in and any you way. know what? Connor McDavid's been the same pissy way also for the last several weeks. I, I mean, I get they're frustrated. I get that they want to win more than anybody. But you know what? You watch the way Sidney Crosby has always played the right. game. No matter what. Yep. Watch I mean, the way yep. he's handled the media, no matter yes. what. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, I we can talk about this a little bit more later, but just as a side note, I taped an interview with Miko Koibu yesterday. We're going to run a special on Valley Sports North, reflecting on his life and career. It's going to be a half-hour special. Our sit-down interview was almost two hours in length yesterday. And as we sat and talked, even now as a retired player, he would never in a million years handle things the way Leon Dreisaitl just did. And in all the years we were around him, he would never shy away from a question. He would never refuse to answer a question. He might give you a dirty look while answering it, but he also was there every night no matter what his team was doing. And never yeah. said a bad word about a teammate. Yeah, that I would agree with. I don't record. know about the first thing I'd agree it, with. He was there yeah. every night. You no, know, he and, was, but he, but even worse than Drysdale, he would he'd be liable to just tell you off right in the middle. He of the might, camp. but he's willing to answer your question. And <laughs> yeah. and and if he did, yeah. if he did, yeah. and there were a couple times where I watched him snap, but I I would say, and I don't remember specifics to it. In many cases, he wasn't wrong. And would just and and but he would let you know that. Yeah. But then he would also talk to you face to face about it. Yeah. And he would say, "I think that's an unfair question." Yeah. And tell you exactly why. You might disagree with him. Yeah. He wouldn't handle it like Leon Dreisaitl did yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. But I also like as you said, the beat writers and you are in different 
you know, uh, no, situations. No, no, I'm talking and, about I watched him yeah. talk. I watched him have conversations with you, mm-hmm. with other reporters. And if he thought the question was out of line, and a lot of times it was people that weren't there all the time. Yeah. He had a pretty high respect level for people that he knew were there every yeah. night. No, I agree. And he had a high respect level for people that if they were, if they said something negative about him, he would confront him and just ask him and say, I, I, I didn't like what you said. I didn't yeah. like what you wrote. I didn't mm-hmm. like the way you presented that. Yeah. And I respected that. Yeah, um, I agree. Let's do, let's do this. Let's uh, do some housekeeping, and then we'll get back on this topic. Um, I, I do want to uh, thank all of our awesome sponsors, and here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, everyone. Attorney Jerry Bosch here with Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. For almost 30 years, we've represented Minnesotans just like you all over the great state of Minnesota to guarantee they've been treated fairly and with respect when they've suffered a work-related injury. A work injury can change your life in an instant. You need someone on your side who can help you focus on getting back on your feet and getting paid while you do. You may be entitled to medical benefits, wage loss benefits, job placement, retraining, and payment for permanent disability. To make sure you are being paid all the work comp benefits you're entitled to, please call the attorneys at Bosch Law Firm. The call is always free, and there's never a fee unless we recover benefits on your behalf. Call 651-333-8300, Bosch Law Firm, or visit us at workcompexperts.com. One of our great sponsors is Tria Orthopedic, and these guys are the best. They've been handling the wild since day one. Dr. Joel Boyd's been their lead physician. I personally have worked with these doctors, almost all of them, unfortunately. Dr. (laughs) Robinson took care of my back. I had Dr. Steves that took care of AJ's elbow. We've seen Dr. Buss there before. Dr. Boyd did my knee surgery. It's crazy the number of people that we've had run through there. I've had family members go back. And no matter if you're a a pro athlete that's trying to get back on the field, you're a high school athlete, or just an everyday adult that's trying to keep yourself healthy enough to stay active, if you're injured, Tria Orthopedic has the answer and the right people to get you back on the field, get you back active as quickly as anybody. And I want to tell you about my friends over at Profile. It's January in Minnesota. It's absolutely freezing out, as you know. And you can count on two things, the bitter cold and quick fix diet plans. I think I think the cold makes you makes you pack on the pounds, too. Um, ironically, neither of those last long, and that's why I love Profile. Profile is focused on long-term success. My health coach is giving me the tools that I will use for the rest of my life. Look, staying healthy is important to me. It's, if it's important to you, please connect with the team at Profile and see how they can help you start the new year off right. Profile work for me. It can work for you, too. Get started today. Visit ProfilePlan.com slash Twin Cities for a location near you. That's ProfilePlan.com slash Twin Cities. And here's a word from Minnesota Propane Association. We've talked about this on the podcast before, Anthony, but one of my favorite Miko Koivu moments uh, dealing with media was with Chad Graff in Florida when Chad asked a question and Miko Miko took about 25 seconds to answer. I remember I timed it um, and Miko had to, he took a deep breath because he didn't want to just jump down Chad Graff's throat. He slowly looked left, slowly looked at Chad and slowly looked at right, right at me and then slowly looked back at Chad, and then I happened to look at Chad, and Chad looked like he was going to throw up right on Miko. Yeah, I remember that. I remember the moment well. And and then Miko answered his question. He didn't like the question and tried to gather himself so that he didn't just snap at him. And it was interesting. So I, I, we can get back to that story in a second, but that was one of the things yesterday as I was talking to him. There were a couple questions I asked him that he'd pause for a minute and think because – he had he was trying to figure out in his mind how much he wanted to say 
I don't want to point fingers. I don't want to say anything that's going to, that people are even going to be able to infer the player to whom I was referring. And then he would answer the question. And I always like it. So there were times like that where I'm sure in his mind, he was frustrated, but I'm also certain that he was probably thinking, how am I going to answer this question where I'm going to sound professional? I'm not going to put a coach in a spe- in a bad spot or a teammate in a bad spot. And, you know, I mean, there are times where when you're in those spots, you have to get a little bit of a feel like, all right, we got to get the guy talking first and then ask him that question. Even though it's a question that I'm sure a lot of the people in the scrum had in mind, that can't be the first question. <laughs> and, yep. and Chad learned that lesson that yeah. night. Yeah, um, but I will say, I mean, back to your Drysdale thing, and this is, look, I get it. Miko hated to lose, and but I will say nobody made me walk, even me as a veteran reporter, walk on eggshells more after a loss than that guy. He scared the crap out of me. And he and I were good, as you know. I mean, he and I were good for a couple blow-ups a year, and usually it ended with about a week or two later, him and I meeting at a coffee shop and having having an Americano or something and just get get it out. Get it out yeah, of the systems. That's which is all true. But that's but part that, of like that to me is what Drysdale should do right now yes, with Madison. Yes, and I will also. I, and I don't know this to be fact, but things are different right now. So because of the way that these the players and the interaction with players and media, the locker rooms aren't open. It might be unfair of me to say this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out there anyway. I don't think there's any chance Matheson has talked to Drysidle every day this season, so it's not like he's been wearing him out by asking him the same questions over and over again because the same players just aren't available to the media every day. Now, maybe he has been. Maybe he has been every single day, and Matheson has been killing him every single day. I, but I I find I that imagine. hard to believe. Yeah. I doubt it. In the old days when the locker rooms were open. The captain, I mean, Nico had to speak every day. But we've seen that in other cities. Like, I mean, and some of these are guys that I know fairly well. So, for example, we'd go to Winnipeg, and Blake Wheeler would come out every single day to talk to the media. And you could tell some of those guys were underneath his skin. He didn't particularly like them, but he'd still stand there and answer their question. And, and I had a great relationship with Blake because he was playing for the University yeah. of Minnesota when I was doing games there. And I'll never forget, one day we walked in, he got done with his little scrum, or before he started his scrum, he saw me and he walked over and we talked for four or five minutes. Then he walked in, did his scrum, walked away. And a couple of the Winnipeg guys were like, well, he just talked one-on-one with you longer than he's talked one-on-one with anybody in this room. Yeah, and, I've had that issue. And, right, I mean, that happens. And, yep. and um, you know, I mean, I watched Gabriel Landeskog come out in Colorado when they weren't going great. And I know he, you could just tell by his answers that he was tired of hearing some of the same criticisms of his team, but yet there he was was every single day answering the questions. And I just think this was a a very amateurish and immature way to handle this from the player. I know people that know Drysdale well, and this did not shock them. And this is, I'm not talking about media people. I'm talking about players in the game. So I think this is. Well, you watch the way he plays the game and it doesn't, I mean, I've watched him coast to the bench on so many line changes while scoring chances were going the other way that that's why I said there's a long list of players that, I mean, he doesn't care, nor does it matter. There's a long list of players I'd take ahead of him if I'm building a franchise. Yeah, I do love him. I wish I didn't trade him in fantasy a couple <laughs> years ago, I'll tell you, especially to who I traded him to, and you know who you're listening, yep. um, who uh, uh, who I'm talking about. person listening knows who I'm talking about. Um, 
in a couple of weeks, uh, when well, I speak really, of that, we got a big head-to-head matchup this week. I know between down, our two right? clubs. Am I down? I don't know. I but was it's, down five. But we'll yesterday. just throw it out there this week, and we'll we'll address it next week to see yeah, what happens. Yeah, I know. Um, I think my team's falling apart, and I'd have to make a trade. Um, so uh, in a couple of weeks, I have a really. I, I keep on like alluding to this, and I don't want to scoop myself. But in a couple of weeks, on February second, there's going to be an. I think I, last week I said it was January 26th, but we just moved it February 2nd. We got an incredible story coming out in The Athletic. Um, it's just so cool. And when that story appears, I want to talk about this subject again because the one thing – just remind me. I'm going to try to say this. So, so I was around a bunch of retired professional athletes, and the one thing I noticed doing this story is that they were actually delighted to, that the media was there again media meaning me and this our baseball writer and I, I do think that the one thing that some players do miss when they when they retire is that sort of limelight again like they were genuinely excited that they were that we were around so that would be pretty cool as well um let's talk about the Colorado game the other night Anthony um a lot to unpack from that game um starting with uh the way the wild came back in that game um they it's amazing to me the way that first period unfolded where it looked like they were going to run out of the building the way they responded a lot of it was due to just what the doctor ordered Kevin Fiala scoring a highlight real goal to start immediately in the second period but that third period the way they forechecked I've never I don't remember the last time maybe from the days when Zach Parisi had that remember that giant comeback where Zach had the hat trick on opening either yep. opening night or the yeah. second one five to four yeah, out there like I don't remember a, a game where the wild in the regular season, in the last three or four or five years, when they've gotten rocked there pretty much, that they've had a sustained forecheck like that. Yeah, and I thought I thought it was interesting because I thought about the first 10 or 12 minutes of the game, Minnesota played pretty well, kind of played the game the way they wanted to play it, even strength. It was, and they weren't getting a lot of chances, but Colorado had a couple of great A's that McKinnon created on his own, but but not much. Then the power play, essentially two power play goals for Colorado. I mean, the first is a five-on-three. The second is a five-on-five five goal, but it's right after Hartman steps out of the box. He's nowhere close to the play. So it was, it was really essentially five-on-four. But then from there to the end of the period, it could have been four-nothing Colorado easily. And... I thought the way Minnesota came out in the last 40 minutes of that game was significant. And we've talked about this so many times this year. When you take into account who was missing, you're missing Spurgeon, you're missing Brodine, you're missing Erickson Eck, and you're missing Talbot. You know, and Bukestead too, but those four guys, your best two defensive defensemen, your best defensive center, and your goaltender. On the road, in a building where a team's won 13 in a row, this is a historically good offense. I don't know if you saw the note that was in the charts that I sent out for that game. There hasn't been a team who's averaged more goals per game than they are right now since 1996. I mean, this is a historically explosive offense. Was that Detroit? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. And yet Minnesota the year went the Florida in there. The Florida Panthers beat them in the Eastern Conference And Minnesota shut them down. I mean, short of the bizarre McKinnon goal in the that was a no goal that got overturned, they held him to two. And so you're talking about a team that nobody's been able to slow, and yet the Wild went in there shorthanded and did it, and did it by controlling the play for 40 minutes. And so now you get the bad break, the, the goal gets overturned and counts, and how do they respond? They respond the same way this team has responded all year long by saying, who gives a shit? And they go score. I mean... 
and they get the uh, another six on five goal. It's just crazy. Well, I mean, you just don't yeah. th- this eleven stuff six on just five goals. They have twelve six on five goals, but eleven with the extra eleven attack. with yep. the pulled goalie yeah. for the extra attacker. Crazy. I mean, it is it is absolutely nuts. And Kaprizov, we can get to him in a second because he was just absolutely awesome. But um, I thought he was actually I actually his disagreed. first two periods. I thought was, he was terrible. Yeah, his first two periods was right. he brought up yeah. after the game. So that that was really neat. So um, you know, yeah, we're getting more and more the evolution of Kirill Kaprizov where he's willing to talk to us after games. This has been hard for us all the last two years because he just isn't comfortable with his English. And after the game, Sickman got him for us and he unsolicited. Actually, you know, it was interesting because Dean brought it up that they thought the line was terrible. But then after the game, uh, Kaprizov basically said, well, I had to play better than third because my first two periods were And so Ryan Carter and I had talked about it on the broadcast. We had said... You know, there are certain great players, and the guy that has come to mind so many times for me when I watch Kaprizov is Patrick Kane. We watched it so many times over the years where you two periods, you kind of, hey, you know what? I haven't, even, I haven't even noticed Patrick Kane tonight. And then all of a sudden, bang, bang, he'd score on back-to-back shifts, and you'd be upside down in the game. And Kaprizov's that kind of player. He... I just thought that he was non-existent. And Colorado had right away from the start said, we're going to throw our big guns against your top line. And they had been on the short end of that matchup all night. And then when you need plays at the end, there's Kaprizov. He he finishes on the one chance, scores the extra attacker goal. And, and on a night where for probably 45 minutes, he was off his game. He scores twice. And so Ryan Carter and I had talked about it, and that was the first thing that came to my mind when we walked down and listened to Dean Evison was that he brought up the same thing and said, we were talking in the locker room, like, those guys are just off tonight. They don't look right. Yeah. And then when there it is at the end, guy's got two goals, and, and you're in overtime because of them. Yeah. You know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of Zach Parisi when he first got to Minnesota, the way that he could take a check, just bounce up and play through it and score. Remember when Zach used to just get mauled, mugged, everything. Even in Colorado in that one yeah. game when Landis got hit him, he just got up and scored. Yeah. Like he doesn't he doesn't look at the ref and whine. He doesn't like oh, you know, go down and turtle and like, oh, you know, have struggle. He just pops up and the one the t- first tying goal where Johnson just crushed him cleanly, crushed him and he just gets up and scores from that same spot right. after Zuccarello saved possession. And his celebration was kind of like what Parisi yeah. used to celebrate yeah. where yep, you knocked me down, and I, I scored. Yeah. And he did it even on the on the on the second the time goal. Five you know, goal, I yeah. mean, he just he fell the ice after a collision with Johnson. Goes to the front of net and follows it up, and and has the guts to stand there, knowing that he's probably going to get crushed if he doesn't put the second one in. He is really really good. Let's talk about the McKinnon goal. Um, you and I have been in that war room uh, in Toronto, the Situation Room, where they have told us before that they use logic to that look in today's day and age until they get all the technology that that puck is over the goal all that stuff that there is it's no longer the old well I got to see the puck completely over the over the goal line that they do deduce with logic that that puck could cross the goal line and that is clearly what the case they did here um I talked to Chris King uh the, the senior vice president of hockey operations who was in the war room that night essentially made the call after the game he was really really uh, transparent with me on how they came across it he actually sent me a screen capture of what they said was the puck that looks like it has an avalanche logo on it and I don't think that had I don't think a 
an avalanche logo would be inside the this between the skate and the pad of Kirill, of Capo Kakinen. And then they show sent a video of the puck falling out of the same spot over the goal line of Kapo Kakinen's uh, pad. So clearly what they did is they deduced that that goal, I don't think you and I disagree that that yeah. was a goal. Yeah, I, I thought it was a goal. I called it a goal live watching it. I didn't think there was any way that Kakinen gets over there to stop it. It looked to me like his pad was inside the net anyway. And and we talked about that on the broadcast. And I said, it doesn't. you don't have to clearly see the puck over the line. You can deduce where it is. And when they showed us in Toronto when we were there, one of the examples they used was, we see from this angle the puck go under the goalie's glove. Now from this angle, we can see that the glove is entirely over the line. Therefore, by combining those two angles, using logic, we can deduce that that puck is in the net, even though we don't have any camera angle that shows the puck in the net. And in this case, what I thought was, it looked like the puck was clearly underneath Kakinen's skate, I don't know if you saw it in the building, but the Avalanche on the scoreboard played a, a, they let the in the crossbar cam run a little bit longer and you see Kakinen drag his leg forward and then lift up his leg and there's the puck. The puck yep. And so by that, yeah, I suppose that there's some like magic bullet kind of theory where the puck was up by his knee and then when he slid it forward, it slid down to his foot, but it looked like it went under his foot in the same spot. I thought, therefore, it was reasonable to call it a goal. I think they got it right. I think the puck was over the line. You can argue whether or not they knew for certain that it was, but I think it, let's say they were 95% sure. If the roles were reversed, Dean Evason would have been losing his mind the other way, saying that we all could see the puck under the guy's skate, the skate's over the line, therefore we know the puck's over the line. Yep, I agree with you. Um, And look, we all, uh, Wild fans and Avs fans, everybody sees it from their team's perspective. They do, but I also just, I want to go back to the one that you said you talked to Chris King, and those guys have been great to us. And I don't, the one thing that I will always argue with any fan is that those guys are determined to get it right. Nothing more. We sat in that room. We watched We've them debate different times. goals yep. and watched them watch. All, hey, guys, come over here and take a look at this because we want to get everybody, anybody who can get a set of eyes on this, take a look at it. They don't care who's playing. They don't, they're not out to get anybody. They are determined to get it right. And I, I think they do most of the time in those spots. Is there any time that... Nathan McKinnon has the puck that you don't think he's going to score because that guy is unbelievable. How about the, the, the you know what the best one for me and that when I he mean, came out of the penalty box? No, the in or, the first period. Oh, okay, he had the one like he grabbed a puck out near the blue line and unleashed a wrist shot yeah. that got by Kakinen before Kakinen even moved and yeah. hit the crossbar. Yeah. I mean, just a wrist shot yeah. from the blue line. It's unreal. And the play he made on that goal to put him up three two. Yeah. I mean. Number one, you can't knock this guy off the puck. Yeah. He's a horse in the corner, and then his speed th- creates this yeah. rush chance that not another player in the league gets a chance out so of that smart. play. And, you know, you could see he was attacking Jordan Ben every time he could. Every time he'd be going straight on Dumba, and he would purposely go right to go at Ben. So that's one thing. But even like that play where he came out of the, of the penalty box after the coincidental minors with, um, with uh, Felino. It's like he just like I'm gonna make up for lost time now. He gets the puck at the defensive blue line. Next thing you know, he's at the freaking offensive post. The guy is, he's unreal. Um, 
And, not, and he's so different. Remember, it was the first year skates. before Bednar took over, and he, the, when we saw him early that next year, he was a different player in terms of his physical stature. He looked like he had shed a few extra pounds. He yep. was cut. He was strong. Yeah. He was. He just looked like a yeah. guy that had figured it out. Yeah. And since that time, I'm, there's not a player in the league I'd take over him right now. It's scary that that guy spends his off seasons uh, working out and talking and being buddies with Sidney Crosby. That for the for the Wild to have to contend with a guy like that for the next several years. Did you listen to his post game comments? No. And so oh, about he, the, no, just about the game in general where yeah. he stood he sat there and somebody asked him a question. He said, "You know what? We've been we've been just killing teams, so this was good for us to play a close game." I mean, they've been destroying, destroying. teams lately. Yeah. They so it just it was I'm sure it was unforeseen territory for them, but I just yeah. thought it I think that game, what I walked away from that game is thinking at some point in this year's postseason, those two teams are going to go head-to-head. Yeah. Uh, let's hope it's a second round where if Colorado ends up being the top of the division, that Minnesota's number two and you know whichever way. I, I think those are the best two teams in the division. At some point, they're going to bang into each other head-to-head, yep. and it's going to be a hell of a series to no watch. No doubt. Um, I, I want to talk about that, actually, uh, because that was something I was going to get later. And I'm sorry for all these people that had Twitter questions, but um, this is the second podcast I've done today where we've hogged everything and not gotten the, a ton of them. But I, before before I get, I, I do want to ask you about Greenway in the game, and I want to talk to you about Ryan Hartman in the game. But I, let's go to that point in particular. The one thing, I agree with you on that, but the one thing that that game showed me is that Bill Guerin really should consider getting a center. Because if this, this team gets a center, they have four great lines. Like, could you imagine this team, if you could put... You have the Hartman line. Let's just say that whatever yeah, center right. they get, Hartman continues on that yeah. line. Erickson continues on his line. You have the Sturm line with probably Freddie Goudreau there on the right side well, and, and Duhamer. Goudreau or Bukestad right. or Dewar. I mean, you've got five you, guys we, for three spots. You and I both know Everson's playing Goudreau. So, but my point is, could you imagine if they go get a Pavelski or a Hurdle or a Giroux and put him in between Matt Boldy and Kevin Fiala, how good this team right. could be? And we... Ryan Carter and I were just talking about this after the game against the Capitals at home, and we started. To, we were looking at that exact thing, and we said, "So to me, there are there are two options. One is go trade for a center to fill that spot, and and if the price isn't too high, and you can get a veteran guy, that to me is the way to go. If you can't, maybe down the stretch, we take another look at at Marco Rossi in that spot and say." Is this guy ready to come up and play games down the stretch into a playoff series? And and maybe it's a scoring only line because you just don't feel like you have enough trust in those guys all together defensively. But can you imagine the kind of zip that that line might be able to bring yeah. to each other? And maybe in defensive zone spots, then Freddie Gaudreau jumps yeah. in there and centers the line yeah. from time to time and, and increases his role from a fourth line guy. But I think you're exactly right. I think if healthy, and then throw on top of it what you have on the back end when healthy. And I think you're, I don't think you're talking about a team that's that far away. And remember, that top line for Colorado is going to get a steady diet of Erickson at Greenway and Felino, and it'll be a hard match. Dean Evison says he doesn't match yeah. lines. It'll be a hard match even on the road in Denver yeah. if those teams meet in the playoffs. Um, 
Jordan Greenway, I wanted to just talk about, uh, briefly about that whole situation. I think it's ludicrous that Avs fans thought that was yep. intentional. Well, I mean, Kemper, to yeah. me, he was taking a beeline to the net, and next thing you know, Kemper just moved his angle. And Greenway tried to lean to get out of his way. Right. I, I actually listened to the Avalanche broadcast call of it, and that's probably part of the reason why the, the fans there are so up in arms, because Peter McNabb and Mark Mosier called it a dirty hit, said it was a malicious hit, and I disagree with that. I, I mean, it, it warranted a penalty, without a doubt, 100%. And but I didn't think there was an intent to yeah. injure or anything uh, in that I spot. I mean, it was just, it was, he, he wasn't skating through the crease. He didn't reach Kemper, out to Kemper, hit him or anything. Kemper, who's a big guy, turned his angle and happened to unfortunately meet Greenway, who's a big guy at the exact moment. Right. And Now, and, the onus know, is on Greenway to avoid yeah. the contact, yes. and the, yeah. it absolutely warranted a penalty. But Greenway did nothing to go out of his way to make contact. Yeah. To me, that's what describes a play as dirty or malicious, yeah. is if you go out of your yeah. way to make contact. I didn't think he did that. And and One thing I want to say also, so we're talking to Matt Dumba today, and I, I, I mean... I, after hearing Matt Dumba speak about Jordan Greenway today, I don't know why any player is one on Twitter or or two has his DMs open. Matt Dumba said that Jordan Greenway and him were looking at all the DMs that he got on the bus and the amount of racist comments that Jordan was thrown by by Avs fans. It is absolutely despicable. And then I, now I went and searched the public ones, and he got some disgusting hate there. Um, which just that alone makes me wonder why I, I don't what compels fans r racist comments or not to just destroy. This is why I would never be on Twitter if I was a player that you're giving fans the license to essentially text message you and you're always going to get hate from the other team no matter what. I, I just don't get it. It made me nauseous listening to Dumba and how broken up he was about it today. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't see it. I didn't read it or anything. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't looked at it I at didn't all, see any of the real public ones, but apparently yeah. these were in direct messages on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, I mean, I, I just... But I saw the, the public hate that he got just right, from but Mads that, fans. But that's kind of the... That's the one thing that bothers me. And I, I know you and I are both active on social media to a degree. You much more than I am. I mean, I, I, that's why I really... I don't read what other people post because it's nameless and faceless. And it's gutless. Yeah. So if you want to say that to Jordan Greenway, then stop, wait outside the rink and say it to his face. And if you're not willing to do that, then don't post yeah. it on Twitter. I'd I mean, that's a, say, I'd love you to say it to Jordan Greenway. That's what I never would, but that's yeah. my point. I is know that what I'm saying these, is I would love one of those fans of to exactly. walk up to Jordan Greenway walk and say up it and to say his it. Because if you're not willing yeah. to say it to somebody's face, yeah. then don't post yeah. it on Twitter. Yeah. And so when people, and I get it, I mean, People will, I, I'm sure, I know they do for you too. And for me, I'll respond to just about anybody that asks me a question or criticizes me as long as they're civil. And I, I mean, we've joked about this. I don't block anybody. I don't mute anybody. I'll listen. To, I'll, I'll look at them. But if some, I always am, am amazed by like, what? What do you think about after you send it? Do you feel good about yourself? Well, that's what I mean. And, do you, and, do you and feel look, like, oh, I'm going to show him yeah. and I'm going to send? I mean, yeah. and, and to I'm make very any kind of racist comment yeah, is yeah. a joke. Yeah, that's and, unbelievable. Yeah. And obviously I haven't faced that. But I mean, trust me, 
I mean, I, I don't know if you see the way that I've replied to people lately. I mean, like it, mental health wise, like I am, oh, I am losing my mind with Twitter and I, I don't, and I'm not saying this for people to empathize or anything or for you to smile, but like, honestly, like it is unbelievable the shit that I get on an everyday basis from these scum. I had a scumbag from Calgary the other day calling me a coward and his name was some, was, it, he doesn't have his real name. He doesn't have his real freaking face a, one of the eggs yeah, on yeah there you know and it's yeah. just like you know like you want to know like show some freaking accountability right. put your real name put your real face and show all your freaking bosses what kind of scumbag you are because his entire account is going after people and this happens to me on a nightly basis and it's just it's it's just disgusting let's talk about aquarius home services <laughs> <laughs> this is the best segue ever speaking of which <laughs> Uh, I'm glad, by the way, I don't know if, if uh, look at your Twitter account, what I just sent you, speaking of which, uh, you'll love that tweet. All right, I'm, I'm anxious to hear what you have to say about Aquarius yeah. Home Services. Um, did you know that Aquarius Home Services is your one-stop shop for all your home service needs? That's right, Aquarius Home Services is your complete home service provider dedicated to provide the highest quality water treatment, plumbing, heating, cooling, and electrical services. They pride themselves on providing superior five-star quality service. They respect you, your time, your home with attention to details that really make a difference. They are highly rated on numerous online formats and strive on earning the right to be recommended. If you or anyone you know have questions or concerns about your water, your heating, your cooling, your plumbing, your electrical, anything, Aquarius Home Services is here to help. Maybe they can go and mute some people on Twitter for me. Um, visit AquariusHomeServices.com for more details and don't forget to mention that Russo sent you. Tell us about Kowalski's, Anthony. Well, I'm a big fan of Kowalski's, and I'm glad that they're a part of our show because every time it's time to throw dinner together, that's my first stop. And we've had a couple really good ones here this last couple of weeks. We've got a big, in fact, we have a big night coming up this weekend that we're still waiting to find out if if you're going to end up being a uh, full participant, but we've got our friends from Baltimore coming over for dinner on Sunday night. So I'll be into Kowalski's to pick up the supplies for a multi-course dinner. It's They just never disappoint. We had a great tomato, Roma tomato and red pepper soup that I made last night. We had a, a poblano pepper and tomatillo soup the other day. Whatever you're looking for, they've got it. It's fresh. It's ready. If you're entertaining or you're just making a quick dinner for a couple at home, Stop by Kowalski's. I, uh, I actually had lunch at Kowalski's yesterday. That incredible salad bar. Um, spent about two hours there just chilling out to uh, after I landed. Avoiding Twitter? Um, no, I was scrolling through Twitter, just head, just steam coming off me. <laughs> um, blocking people left and right, telling people off. It's It was great. Um, the more things change, the more things change. And when it comes to real estate, two things. Are, this is the weirdest bunch of ads that we've done. Um, the more things change, the more things change. And when it comes to real estate, two things are changing big time as we head into winter, the housing market and consumer expectations. When it comes to market, to the market, Chris Lindahl Real Estate, and by the way, Chris Lindahl has never ripped anybody on Twitter. Uh, Chris Lindahl Real Estate is seeing more homes for sale, but they're se not selling as fast. And experts are seeing higher interest rates on the horizon. As for consumers, it's convenience, convenience, convenience. We all want to save time and in order with the click of a button, and that's why Chris Lindahl Real Estate created its hugely successful guaranteed offer program. They've motivated buyers because everybody knows their name. In fact, every time they market themselves, they're actually helping you sell your home, which is why they feel 100% confident guaranteeing offers. 
Thousands of people have received guaranteed offers from Chris Lindahl Real Estate because it's the most convenient way to sell, period. More flexibility, more options, more access to homes to buy. So don't wait. Whether you want to sell conventionally or go the guaranteed offer route, call Chris Lindahl Real Estate today at 763-41-SOLD or go to chrislindahl.com. That's chrislindahl.com. You know whose birthday it is today? No. Michael Kenny. Is that right? Yeah, Michael Kenny. You got to send him a text right now. Michael I Kenny, will. the owner, proprietor of uh, Defined Destinations, by the way, the w- person that plans all our Europe trips uh, that is just absolutely awesome. Uh, he's planning this one coming up this summer uh, that starts in mid-July. You can come with Anthony and me to Budapest, Prague, Vienna, and I think Bratislava. So that'll be absolutely uh, cool. Yeah, and I think uh, we'll have a couple of the family members are are hoping to take the trip as well, so you'll get a chance to meet and yeah, let's just say the the people that fall higher on the pecking order than I do when I'm inside the walls of my own home. But it'll be fun. We're looking forward to it. The trips are always awesome. We have so much fun. Great meals. He's got great things planned. I know we have a river cruise one night that's supposed to be breathtaking. Budapest and, is apparently a coffee haven. Yeah, and I've I've never been to any of the places we're going, so I'm I'm anxious to see it. And but the the reality is, like we've talked to some people who have been on these trips and. It's a great balance of you got to see what the city has to offer. Here's a couple things that you'd really you'd kick yourself if you had missed when you got home. But now here's an afternoon or an evening where you're just kind of on your own to bum around the town and the bus will pick us up at this time to go back to wherever we're staying. So it's a great combination of structure with also some free time. And the free time sometimes has been just as entertaining and maybe more so where we'll sit around a couple of cocktails after dinner and tell some stories. Definitely. And it's, I hope you can we definitely join us. have some quote unquote team dinners too. And then we have the right. drinking uh, afterwards. Right. Um, but we're going to do a lot of, uh, like, uh, definitely one full day. We're going to drag everybody that comes on our trip. We're going to just go from coffee shop to coffee shop to coffee shop. And then they could feel what my we'll heart have feels a, we'll have day. a trainer come and check your heart yeah, rate. Exactly. Um, just last thing before we get to Twitter questions, I want to bring up Ryan Hartman. Um, the Hartman p- penalty was interesting because, obviously, look, he laid on that ice with almost the look like he was on a chaise lounge in the Bahamas, okay? So I think he pissed off the refs, obviously. Um, but the rule in the rule book states that that puck should have, that whistle should have blown immediately. The, the rule states verbatim, if you block a shot and it's shot under you, the rule is it is not to be a delay of game penalty and that the whistle is supposed to blow. So he's also laying there expecting a whistle. He shouldn't be expected to... W- in the middle of a slot with five avalanche right. players around stand them. up, stand up. Right. The it was, refs it was there, so and ridiculous. What was scary to me is that both referees, one being a guy that's young but a veteran, and the other being a minor league ref that, by the way, has done a couple wild games this year and has been awful. Um, you know, like they don't know the rule, and but then in, late in the third, he gets upended blatantly by McKinnon, no call. And this has happened a lot lately. And I do wonder if referee, if Ryan Hartman's pretty much on the bad side of refs. Yeah, I think he is. And, and I think there's something to that. He's plays the game. He he plays the game a little bit on an edge. 
and he hasn't been shy about barking at referees when he thinks they're wrong. And Dean's talked about that. He yeah. said, look, we've got to lay off officials. But Dean's even getting to the point where he's his frustration's yeah. starting to boil over. And in spots like that, that's a mistake a referee can't make. And we've talked about this before. I hate getting into officiating when we're on the broadcast. And we didn't really even talk about it that much that day because, you know, I, I, you don't want to make the whole show about calls that were missed. But that's one that I said, the rule, I, I, we, got to, we were at a commercial break. I turned, I said, the rule doesn't say he has to get up. The rule, it doesn't say that. Yes. There's nothing in the, that even if a ref says, hey, play it, play it, you don't have the right to tell him to play it. The, the rule doesn't say he has to get up off the puck. So they missed it. It was at a critical time of the game. Luckily, the Wild got a made the penalty kill and, and therefore stayed in the game, and it wound up not being a factor. But those are the kind of mistakes that drive me bonkers that officials make. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I, I I just I know that I've covered this league a long time, and I, I first of all, I usually like I know a lot of these refs. I do have respect for them, but I think this league has made a major, major mistake the last several years retiring all these veteran referees. And you've got a a, a league full of super young guys right now. And and with COVID, you have half the referees and linesmen that are on protocol themselves. So you have these crappy refs coming up from the minors right. that are, this well, stage is too big for them. And there are some spots where just no feel for the game. Yes. And we've, we've, we've broken down a few of these plays before. I mean, like the, I thought one of the, I thought they, they did a decent job with the McDermott thing, I thought, the other day. I mean, he clearly went after Greenway after Greenway hit the goalie. He instigated a fight. Yeah, he got, got two, right. five, and ten. They got it right. I thought the embellishment call against Goligoski was a joke. And, you know, but the, the hit on Kaprizov that resulted in his injury, this was a guy who was running around from the drop of the puck to start the night looking for trouble, yes. and yet they were so oblivious to it that they don't they, – you exactly. just – you see more and more of those spots where guys just don't seem to have a handle on what's happening on the ice, um, the players they're dealing with. And, and there have been some calls that have gone Minnesota's way because of that as well this season. But I just thought in that particular game, I thought they got a little caught up in the moment. Maybe you get caught up in the fact that, oh, the Avs look good, the Avs look good, the Avs look good, and and they call a, a couple penalties that were iffy and then let some stuff go later. You mentioned the McKinnon hit on Hartman. I just think they it was almost like they got mesmerized watching McKinnon and forgot that he, he's still capable of violating the rule book. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, even, by the way, um, you know, even the Hartman hooking penalty, he, look, he made the mistake by reaching – you're asking for trouble when you do that, but if you actually look at it subtly, McKinnon grabs, yes, takes his fingers, which and is holds exactly stick. what Hartman yep. argued was yep. that he grabbed his yep. stick. He did grab his stick. Hartman put his stick where you can't put it and put yourself yep. at risk. And and it was a veteran. And this is again the no feel you mentioned. These are refs that don't realize that Nathan McKinnon is a brilliant hockey player. He's on a five-on-four right at the beginning. What's he going to do? He's going to try to get the five-on-three for a guaranteed well, goal. He is, but. I would say I'd look at it the other way in that spot and say Hartman has to know Be smarter. like you can't put your stick yeah. in a spot where it even even puts yourself yeah. in that spot. I agree with you. Now, yeah. on the other hand, we've seen for years guys up oh, they're already short, I'm not going to call anything and you watch guys take slashes across mm -hmm. the hands and everything and and so I actually didn't mind that call because I I like to see officials that 
still call the rule right. book even when a team's on a power yeah. play. Yeah. By the way, the Goligoski one is interesting too because when it happened live, I'm like, that is the biggest flop I've ever seen. No, in I don't my think life. it was and at then, all. But you're right. When you actually look at the replay, he did lose his legs. Yes. Um, there's no doubt about it. And but it, it, I could see where the refs there thought he flopped because at, at live, I'm like, holy crap, was that? Yeah, a flop? I actually didn't. I live, I didn't think I didn't see that. And the official calls it's way back behind, like yeah. down behind the goal line, underneath yeah. the goal line that called it he had a bad angle but it you know that there are going to be calls that are missed there's no question about it it just feels like some of them like the Hartman one in that game was the one that stood out to me that I thought was an egregious miss yep. and it came at a time in the game where you just can't make that mistake yeah let's just a uh, quick hit Twitter uh, things uh, here Twitter questions um Kevin asks, it seems Fiala has some decent chemistry with Boldy. I know the money rules, but if the brass feels this is for real, do they try a way to re-sign Fiala? I think to answer that question logically, Anthony, it's pretty simple. The only way they could re-sign Fiala long-term is if they free up money elsewhere, and that would mean probably a Dumba leaving. I mean, you know, like there's just no – there is no money. You know, there, there there is none, and the cap is not going to go up. It was supposed to go up – a million bucks before all these cancellations. Just imagine the the detriment of this business right now. I just don't see how yeah. Fiala's back and resign unless they don't get rid of guys like. I mean, they get rid of guys like you know Dumba, Greenway, all these guys. I mean, I don't. Just, I mean, I just think we're we spend a lot of time speculating about something that there's no way to know. Right. Because it might require a couple of other moves to make it work. But the one thing I will say is that I know the wild love the way Fiala has been playing lately and they've loved his effort level. They've loved the way he's responded to challenge. And in fairness to this guy, he's been, he hasn't been paired with guys with electric offensive skill all year. And we've seen it now with he and Boldy in a four game sample size. It's a world of difference. And so I think, Let's see what this season. Let's see how it plays out. If this guy's if this guy's explosive from here to the finish, somehow, some way, I wouldn't be surprised if Billy figures out a way to get this deal done and and finds a way to keep him in the fold because with his offensive firepower and with some of the guys coming up in this organization, it could be a, it could be a one-two punch of top two lines that can score. Yeah, um, I, it's going to be very difficult. It will be yeah. difficult, no question. Um, uh, Stefan asked, when will we see Marco Rossi called up again? This is Stefan from Austria, so that's why he's asking. I think that he's going to be down there for a while. I think, I think yeah, he got probably. his taste. I think he was a little, he was, you know, I think they, they, they did what they wanted. He's like, here, here's the NHL. This is what you got to work on. I think right. you and I both talked last week. Here's the size, speed, strength. and strength yep. that yep. you're going to no face doubt. on a nightly basis. But go down there and fine-tune. I do think they saw enough from him that if the right role opened up in the NHL, he'd be back. Yeah. I still think that his contract is one. We just talked about contracts. I think they need his to start next year and not this year. Which, uh, that's Jeremy, fine, but it yeah. could be he could he come could up at the play, end yeah. of the season and then play in the playoffs. Well, no, it's nine games total. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. If you're all of a sudden in a, in a right. spot where you got a chance yeah, in the playoffs. seven games in the playoffs. Even. Right. Yeah. Um, but I don't think they want to play him the 10th. Um, that's just my personal opinion. Jeremy, um, 
uh, asks, uh, what do you do with the defense when Spurgeon and Brodeen are back? Because Addison is playing well enough to, at the NHL level, and I'm assuming they wouldn't want to carry eight defensemen. I think Addison goes back. Well, he probably does. I do. I thought Addison's game in Denver was the best game he had played yeah. this year. I but, thought he looked so much more confident with the puck, was making so many more plays. And the fact that he's quarterbacking the number one power play right yeah. now tells me that, I mean, there's a chance that he sticks around, but I think they want him playing. And they might, with everybody healthy, yeah. he might be the first guy in if somebody goes down where it's a lengthy right. spot, but I, he's not going to supplant one of the top six. No, he's not. And when Brodeen comes back, we know who the top six is, and the reality is that Jordy Ben is still the seventh D on this team, not Kalen Addison, and that's just the way it's going to be. Um, you know, in my opinion, don't you agree? I agree. Other than that, I wouldn't, it wouldn't I'm not shock playoffs, me. I'm just saying, right. like, know. let's say there's a long-term injury yes. to like to a guy like yeah. Matt Dumba, where you want a right shot defenseman mm -hmm. that brings some offense, yeah. you know, then I wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if they said, all right, let's play Addison and, and keep Jordy. Jordy Ben is a valuable seventh defenseman. And because he can, are you, are you just watching Vinny here and the amount of? Well, I'm not watching, but like, I have seen before the amount of calorie intake. I mean, this is insane. All right, I, like I'm envious. All right, uh, sorry, distracted again. Dogs and food are the two things that distract me right. in life. Well, and um, we've got dinner coming. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm a little perplexed here. Well, he not just made Vinny. himself Vinny, I know. three he's, sandwiches he's, and a wrap. He's on his own got plan. No, like vegetables in there. It's just meat, bacon, mayonnaise, like tuna. Yeah, I thought there was a little lettuce in there. Yeah, there might be. Yeah. Um, we got a bunch of questions about. Let's see, let me just see if there's any other. There were some good funny ones. Uh, fun. Uh, this this one's good. I mean, uh, we. I don't know. Were you there today? Practice? You were. Yes. So you heard uh, Dean talk about Kakinen. I mean, the reality is, with 40 games and 77 to end, you're going to need both goalies playing well. But but even Dean said today that. Kakinen essentially has put himself in a position where they feel 100% confident playing him, and whoever's in when they win is probably playing the next game. Yeah, I think the challenge for Kakinen is going to be this. Mm -hmm. Last year he thrived when Talbot wasn't around, mm -hmm. and I think it was a combination of that he knew he was, he was getting regular work and he didn't have Talbot looking over his shoulder, where he wasn't worried if I don't play well tonight, it might be two weeks before I'm back in here. Then he really struggled once Talbot came back healthy last year. And it, it could be either or. Maybe it is the, the pressure of knowing the other guys there. Maybe it is that you're just not playing every other night. So that's the challenge for Kakinen because when Talbot comes back, I mean, even if it's a more of a split, it's probably still going to be a two-to-one Talbot to Kakinen, I would guess, down the stretch. You want Talbot playing as much as Talbot says he needs to play to make sure he's on his game when the playoffs start. And so if that means if you got if you got 40 games and that means one guy plays 26 and the other one plays 14, can Kakinen keep playing at this level even when he's only playing one out of every three and playing knowing that, like, if I don't play well, I might miss the next three. And we'll have to see. That's, that's yet to be determined. Uh, Josh uh, asks uh, Prime Donaldson on Twitter, one of the 50 primes somethings on Twitter. I don't get what the primes are, but whatever. Um, I blocked one and then unblocked one this week. Uh, well, I've yeah. never heard of any um, of them. What current player in the wild do you think would be most likely to be a TV analyst alongside you in the future? Felino? Oh, that's an interesting. Felino would be good for sure. Um, Talbot? Talbot, maybe. Yeah. He's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, he's really an interesting guy to have conversations you know, with. No, be hilarious. But Kulikov. 
Kulikov, yeah, yeah, he might be. He, would he be was. Hilarious. He's a colorful guy. Zuccarello Probably, would be funny too. Yeah, although Zuccarello would probably Drop only speak in about yeah, and he might speak in you know five word phrases and yeah. then just kind of stop and look at you and wait for you to jump in. Yeah. I'd say Felino probably is would be most likely. Nick Bukestad actually yeah. would be a decent one. Yeah. Um. Last question. Let me get it. Uh, right. Johnson from Wisconsin wants, why wouldn't the Wild sign Eric Stahl as a depth center and power play specialist instead of trading assets for a playoff run? You want to take that one? Yeah, no chance. <laughs> there's there's no chance. And the, it's skating. It's, yeah, he's just he's at a point now in his career where hey, somebody might, I, but I can't imagine who in the NHL will. The Wild are doing him a favor to help him to get ready. I think they'd love to have – they had no problems with him as a guy, as a presence in the room. But in order to put him in the lineup, you have to take a center out – you have to take Nico Sturm out of the lineup, or you'd have to take Freddie Gaudreau out, and they're just not going to do that. The, right. This team is built a lot more on speed right now, and and Eric just he doesn't have the speed anymore. What's the least uh, favorite part of your job? Somebody asked on Twitter. I think everybody knows what mine was. I went on a rant about it today. You know what's funny is that I obviously love Twitter too because it helps promote. It is a way to have a relationship with the fans. You feel like you know them. You meet people because of it they sometimes during games they help me see stuff that maybe i missed while writing what's your least favorite part i've never asked well you know to be honest i love my job i I love all parts of it but the least favorite in listening to gorg and uh, dan myers well that's for sure riding the plane and the bus with those two clowns is that's tough but right now the, the my least favorite part is is trying to connect with players when we don't have the access to them that yeah. we normally do but on a normal spot i mean the or or calling games on a world feed i mean that i don't like that at all but in a normal spot where you're just do, going about your business doing your games the least favorite part's probably the prep i mean there's a there's a ton of prep that goes into every broadcast and a lot more than people probably realize a lot of hours and so that that i mean and i don't mind doing it but if we're, we're nitpicking because I love every aspect of my job. If I had to, if I had to put one at the bottom and I couldn't do the job, if I didn't do the prep myself, it's not like I could have somebody else do it for me. So I have to do it, but it's, that's probably the least favorite part. Yeah. The second least favorite part for me would be uh, writing. Right. But you like finding <laughs> the stories more than you see. You could have that. a, you could have a ghostwriter because you could just like, text them the, the quotes, the here's what's happening, here's what my source tells me, here's who they're going to trade, here's who they're going to sign, and then let somebody else write the story. I've, I've, I offered Dane Mizzitani recently. With your five, salary, you could you could sublet. You could, you could. I offered Dane Mizzitani recently like 500 bucks to write my story for me, and he wouldn't do it. So, um, And I wasn't even joking, I think. I think. Um, uh, do you want to touch on the LaFontaine La stuff or you want to save that for next podcast? Um, we can save it for next yeah, week. Yeah, we've gone a, a while here. This is like my 18th hour straight of podcasting today, and I wrote a story. Um, this literally was my third podcast today. So um, Split Rocks, January 25th, 7 p.m. Definitely come on up there, especially if you're in the northern burbs and haven't checked out a live show before. You will absolutely love it. Um, Anthony will buy you all drinks. Um, DefineDestinations.com if you want to come on our Europe trip. 
And then the uh, the funniest ad sequence of probably any of our podcasts happened tonight as I went on a freaking rant about God knows what and then went right into Aquarius. Thanks to Aquarius Home Services, your local authorized dealer of Connecticut Water Treatments, Kowalski's, Chris Lindahl Real Estate, Bosch Law Firm, Tria, Profile by Sanford and Minnesota Propane Association. See you January 25th, everybody. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. Like you're never gonna win Oh, but the world